Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatians. Today we're going to jump back into the book of Galatians, but uh, rather than just diving right back where we left off, we're going to get a running start, and uh, we're going to do a bit of a review today. We started in Galatians back on March the 1st, and so we had about three sermons, and then everything changed. And we had a couple sermons, video sermons thrown in over the book of Galatians. And uh, so quite honestly, for, for your sake and mine, I thought a review would be helpful to see where we've been, catch up with what uh, Paul has been writing to the church of Galatia. And we have to remember that it's a letter. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul is writing to, and remember, the churches of Galatia. It's not one particular town. It's a group of churches. If you go to Acts 13 and 14, you can read about Paul and Barnabas going to the cities of Iconium, Derby, Lystra, in the area of Galatia. Churches were started, and these are the churches that the Apostle Paul is now writing to. And since it is a letter, uh, letters are not meant to be dismembered into a variety of pieces. Letters are meant to be understood as a unit that, that contain different pieces, but we want to see the flow, we want to recapture Paul's intent in this letter, and I hope to accomplish that uh, today. And it's important that we remember this as well before we get going, that though I refer to Paul as the author of the letter to Galatians, it is the Holy Spirit of God who is moving Paul along. Uh, the words that Paul records and records for the Galatians that are preserved and recorded for us are the very product of God's breath we find in the Scriptures. And so they deserve our attention. Uh, they deserve our respect, our honor, our submission, all of the above. So let's begin. Our first sermon covered the introduction uh, to the letter. This is the part of the letter where Paul introduces himself and then introduces who he is writing to, in this case the Galatians. He offers a prayer of grace and of peace. And uh, though I would love to go back and just preach every sermon that we have gone through, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to restrain myself today. But one of the main points that we find in this introduction, if you notice how Paul introduces himself, Paul, an apostle. He introduces himself as an apostle. Why does he do that? Because false teachers had arisen in the church of Galatia and they were claiming that Paul is a false apostle. That Paul is not a legitimate apostle. And there, by saying Paul is not legitimate in his apostleship, they're saying Paul's message, the gospel message that he preached, is not legitimate either. And that's what we see from the get-go. Paul is trying to defend himself. In the second section of the letter, which begins in verse 6, we read this. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Paul immediately begins, I am astonished. And one of the points that we made when we were in this text is if you look at all of, uh, all of Paul's other epistles, all of his other letters to the churches, what immediately follows his introductions in those other letters is a section of thanksgiving 
where he recognizes and says, I'm thankful for you, church at Ephesus, for this. I'm thankful for you, church at Colossae, for this. I'm thankful for you, Thessalonians, for this. Here, there is no thanksgiving section. He immediately moves in with the words, I am astonished. Paul is overwhelmed. We begin to see the reason Paul is writing the letter in these verses. The Galatians are deserting the gospel of Jesus Christ. The very gospel that Paul and Barnabas preached to them when they entered into these cities and synagogues and these churches were formed. And they're deserting that gospel and they're going after, and notice the air quotes, a different gospel. In Acts 13 and 14, we do read how Paul and Barnabas shared the truths. And here's what it says in Acts 14 verse 1. A great number of both Jews and Greeks believed the message gospel Paul and Barnabas preached was the message of Jesus, the message that he was God, made flesh, and he came and he dwelt among us. Jesus lived the perfect life that we could never live. Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus did this. He loved God with all of his heart, all of his soul, all of his might. He loved his neighbor to the fullest degree. Jesus did what we could not do in his life. And then he went to the cross. And he suffered the punishment of our sin. He was resurrected. Recognition that God was pleased with what Christ had done on the cross. This is the gospel message. This is the message that we see in the Scriptures. Paul writes uh, to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15 that the message of first importance that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures and that He was buried and that He rose again on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That is the gospel message that they preach. That is the gospel message that we preach. That is what we believe. But in recent days and weeks, Paul has learned through others who have been interacting with these churches, that they are abandoning this good news of Jesus for some other gospel, and he is astonished, which is probably a bit of a mixture of of a broken heart and rage. He's angry. But what of the different gospel? Notice with me what Paul writes in verse 7, 8, and 9 of chapter 1. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and they want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before and so I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul says, even if I show back up in town and I'm telling you something different, I'm accursed. Even if you see a messenger from heaven that appears in your service and it's preaching something contrary to the gospel that was originally preached to you, Christ crucified, resurrected, let him be accursed. Strong words. False teachers had convinced many in these churches that Jesus was not enough. I don't know that we get the full feel of what was happening here, but I I don't think they were dismissing Jesus completely. But He wasn't enough. They needed to be circumcised. 
They needed to, to follow the, the Mosaic commands. There were certain things they needed to do. The message of this different gospel was, was Jesus plus something. Jesus plus something. And friends, that is no gospel. <laughs> because if there's anything I have to contribute, I'm going to mess it up. And if there's anything you have to contribute, you're going to mess it up. As Martin Luther said, the only thing I contribute to my salvation is the sin from which I need to be saved. And so Paul goes on the offensive and he begins to uproot the lies these false teachers are beginning to spread about the gospel and about his own ministry. And understand how those two go hand in hand. This is why Paul takes this so personally. Because if they can dismiss him, then they can dismiss his gospel. Or if they can dismiss his gospel, then they can dismiss him. He understands that these, these two are tied together. And notice his statement in verse 10. He says this, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, that word still is helpful for us. He said, I would not be a servant of Christ. The false teachers were accusing him of being a people pleaser. You're just trying to get the approval of people. And Paul, Paul basically argues this. Listen, if, if I wanted to please people, I would have never stopped being a Pharisee. Because that was the, the ultimate of pleasing people. I would have never started following Christ. That's not my intention. And that's where he moves in verses 11 through 14 as he begins to argue these particular points. Notice what he says. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently, and I tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism, but on many of my own age among my people, so incredibly zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Paul argues relating to his past and says, I was a persecutor of the church. I was a Pharisee. I was the most zealous for following the religious system of the Jews. He viewed himself as a Pharisee, as a warrior, a protector of the Mosaic law and all of the traditions that had been passed down through the centuries. What Paul is hoping the Galatians will understand there is if he were trying to people please, he would have just continued in that life. He never would have stopped being who he was. He never would have stopped doing what he was doing. And instead, he became a follower of Christ. And that's what he highlights in verses 15 through 17. He speaks of his own conversion and his own calling. Let's read on, verse 15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles... I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and I returned again to Damascus. Particularly in verse 15, notice the emphasis on the sovereign intervention of God in, in, in Paul's life. Notice the emphasis on the grace of God that intervened in Paul's life. He was not looking he was not searching. He was searching to persecute Christ and any Christians who would be followers of Him. 
yet God intervenes. I can't help but look at those words and I hope is the same for you. And you get a sense of your own conversion. You get a sense of your own life, the sovereign work of God in your life to bring you to an understanding of Christ. The gracious work of God in your life that He would freely give Christ for you. The section concludes with Paul sharing how he did not immediately consult with any church leaders. He says, what did I do? When I, when I was converted, I went to Arabia. That's, that's the desert out to the east of Jerusalem and Israel. And he said, I, just, I went to the desert of Arabia. We know from other texts he spent three years there. These are called the lost years of Paul. We don't really know what happened. What we see in the text, though, is that he was strengthened during this time. I have no doubt he was continuing to minister the gospel during this time, getting his feet wet in the ministry. But his point is not what he was doing. His point is that he didn't immediately after his conversion go and hunt down Peter and James and John, the pillars of the church. He went to be alone. Now we get back to the crux of the argument. And his argument is this, those guys didn't influence me. Those guys did not influence my message that I preached to you, Galatians. In verse 20, he says, In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Why is he being so emphatic? Why is he, is he pleading with him, Understand, I'm not lying to you. Because there are false teachers in Galatia that are accusing Paul of being a fraud. They're saying that his conversion story was fabricated. They're saying that the message, the gospel message that he preached is just a, a script that he got from Peter, James, and John and the other apostles. He's like a, a telemarketer. He's just reading the lines. There's nothing real in his life. That's what they're accusing him of. That's why in these closing verses of chapter 1, Paul shares that it was three years after his conversion before he ever went back to Jerusalem. And even, even then... Even when he did go back to Jerusalem three years after his conversion, the only leader who was there in town was James, the pastor at the church of Jerusalem, the half-brother of Jesus, the author of the book of James that we find towards the end of the New Testament. Well, moving into chapter 2, his argument continues. Notice verse 1. He says, Then after 14 years, I, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. So 14 years from his conversion, 11 years since his last visit. It's been a decade since he's been to Jerusalem. He's been preaching the gospel for a decade. And now he returns to Jerusalem with Barnabas and Titus. And the reason for this visit is noted in chapter 2, verse 2. If you'll look at that with me. He says this. He says, I went up, I went up to Jerusalem because of the revelation and set before them the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had run in vain. To make a quick summary, Paul went to Jerusalem to test his gospel against the gospel preached by the apostles, the pillars. There's various names that are given in here. He's speaking of those church leaders, Peter, James, John, the other disciples, the other followers of Jesus. And the biggest part of his test, according to what he writes, is Titus. 
he brought along his, his companion, Titus, the same guy who he wrote the letter of Titus to, who had gone to Crete and was there uh, starting churches and helping churches to get settled. He brought this Titus along as a test. See, Titus happened to be uncircumcised. He was not Jewish in his ethnicity. He was a Gentile in his ethnicity. And so the test was this. Would they require Titus to be circumcised? He's a professing, faithful follower of Jesus. Paul's used him. He's proclaimed the gospel. He's done this work. Would they require him to be secret circumcised? And in chapter 2, verse 6, Paul says, These leaders added nothing to me. They passed the test. This wasn't Paul saying, I'm not sure if my gospel's right, so I want to test it against these guys. Paul knew his gospel was right. He just wanted to make sure theirs was right. He wanted to make sure that what he was doing was not in vain and out of step with what they were doing because this whole thing would come crumbling down at some point. And so they added nothing to me. On the contrary, he goes on to write, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, that is to the Gentile world, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, that is within Israel, they gave the right hand of fellowship to me. Welcome, Paul. But I do want to point out something that happens in the middle of this. Notice chapter 2, verse 4. Now this matter arose, this, this controversy, because of the false brothers with false pretenses who slipped in unnoticed to spy on our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus to make us slaves. But we did not surrender to them even for a moment in order that the truth of the gospel would be preserved or remain with you. Paul says, even though we were having secret meetings to discuss these things, some others slipped in. And they began to prod the needles. And they began to say, I don't know, I think circumcision is a requirement. And so Paul says they wanted to, they wanted to steal the freedom we have in Christ. They wanted to put us in the bonds of the law again. Paul says, I fought them. We fought for the truth of the gospel for your sake and for the sake of others. I stand here today very grateful that the Apostle Paul fought for the truth of the gospel. We all should stand here very grateful that the Apostle Paul and many others, women and men through the centuries, have fought for the truth of the gospel. Here we see very clearly Paul's aim in the letter to fight against those false teachers who want to steal the freedom that we have in Jesus away. And there's one more personal story that Paul shares before diving headlong into really the deep end of the theological pool and speaking of justification by faith. And it's the last sermon that we heard on this. I think it was April 19th, something like that, that particular Sunday. And it's when Peter came to visit the church at Antioch. Notice with me uh, chapter 2, verse 11, down through verse 14. This will catch us up to where we've been. But when Cephas, or Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face 
because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back. He separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to, to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So Peter had just come to Antioch to visit. Antioch was a, a happening place. Antioch was a, a, a city third largest city in the Roman Empire during this time, a very diverse city. We even see that in the, the explanation of the church at Antioch in Acts 13, that the elders of that church were made up of people from all over the Middle East. An incredibly diverse place. And Peter comes to visit. We don't know the intention of his visit, but he's there, and he is eating with all of the Gentile believers. He's enjoying fellowship with all of the Gentile believers. And all of a sudden, a new group shows up. And it's a group that comes from Jerusalem, from James, the church at Jerusalem. These are not Gentile believers. These are Jewish believers. And what does Peter do? He backs away from the table with the Gentiles. And he starts to hang out with the Jews only. And Paul says, I withstood him to his face. This is one of those scenes I would have liked to have been the fly on the wall to see how did that conversation go? Because this was not a private matter. We kind of talked about this in the sermon. This is something that Paul handled publicly because Peter had publicly distanced himself even to the point that the other Jewish believers, even Barnabas, the son of encouragement, backed away from the Gentiles as well. And so Paul just said, listen, what you're doing is not in step with the truth of the gospel. Because we're all one in Christ. That's the point. By the way, there is an implication here for issues of racism. If Peter could easily fall away, we can too. We all have to be on the watch for that. There's an issue here, I think, an implication for nationalism. Because being a Jew was a I mean, that was a, a pride-bearing thing. Sometimes being an American can be a pride-bearing thing. And we lose perspective of what's going on around us. You can shoot your fireworks. I'm not saying don't celebrate this week. I, I'm just simply saying we have to watch ourselves. This is Peter we're dealing with. We have the same tendencies that he has in us. Um, the point... Paul has argued that the gospel he preached in Galatia was a gospel that was given to him by the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus at his point of conversion. It's not something that Peter came along and whispered in my ear or James came along and whispered in my ear. It is a gospel that I received directly from Jesus. That's why Paul claims to be an apostle because he was specifically commissioned by Jesus just as the others had been. Paul says this, I have not wavered from that gospel. I have and will continue to defend it against false teachers. I'll even defend it against Peter if he messes up again. That, 
that's the breadth of his argument. I hope you see what, it, what he's doing here. He's laying out his, his personal relationship to them and the gospel that he preached. But what about us? We too must fight for the purity of the gospel. We have to make sure that we take great care of the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ that has been entrusted to us. In, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20, Paul writes this to Timothy, Guard the deposit entrusted to you. Guard what's been entrusted to you. Would you turn with me to, to 1 Timothy chapter 3? 1 Timothy 3. Uh, I want to look at this verse with you. I want you to see this. Let's look in verse, let's look in verse 14. Paul, writing to Timothy, who is presently leading at the church at Ephesus, says this, I hope to come to you soon. Paul wants to come to Ephesus, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. That's a remarkable statement. Paul says that the, the church is to be the pillar and the buttress of the truth. It has been entrusted to us to care for, to uphold, to display, to hold up lives. And, and there are always, always those who are working to distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's always happening. They're trying to redefine it trying to replace it. I was just, I had a conversation with Jason this morning, something that I've, I've seen and heard a couple of times recently, just this idea um, where, where this guy's redefining the word pistis in the New Testament. The word pistis is what we define as faith and belief and, and, and to trust. We see it all over the New Testament, obviously. But he wants to redefine it as allegiance because it fits his system that the, the climax of the gospel is the kingship of Jesus where Peter announces him to be the Christ. And I think that's just a step off. It sounds really good, but it's just a step off from where we need to be. And where does that go? That's my, that's my questioning. That's what I was talking about. I, I don't know what the intention of that is. I don't know what the point is, but there's always those. And listen, we, we can get the end times wrong, and I guarantee you that is one thing we will all get wrong on a lot of points. We can get church polity wrong, how the church is to be structured and governed, and we can get spiritual gifts wrong. We can get a lot of things wrong, and we will get a lot of things wrong. I have no doubt. But we cannot distort or allow others to distort this most beautiful and powerful and central message that Christ alone, 
by grace alone, through faith alone, saves completely and fully for all eternity. We too must refuse to allow others to add anything to the message of Jesus. Circumcision does not save. Baptism, though extremely important, an act of obedience, it does not save. Church attendance does not save. Traditions do not save. Our good works do not save. Christ and Christ alone saves. Do you believe that? I hope so. I hope your full hope and expectation is in Christ's work on the cross and the empty tomb that he left behind. Would you bow with me today? I want to give you just a moment to pray, a moment to search, maybe praying that prayer, search me, O oh God, know my heart, try me, know my thoughts, see if there be any wicked way in me. Are you depending on something other than Jesus? Is your focus on something other than Jesus? Are you allowing your own spin of things or others' own spin of things to, to redefine the truth of Christ crucified, buried, and resurrected? That message of first importance. Our good Father, I, I just want to thank you for giving us your word revealing yourself, revealing this good news to us in, a, in what is, quite honestly, a very clear way. We can go deep and, and we can have controversy, but the message of Jesus is a message that is, is easy enough for a child to understand. And God, for that I am grateful. Because as I think of Paul recounting his own conversion, I think of my own and how in your sovereignty I was raised to hear this message week in and week out. And I'm grateful for that, God. I pray that you would help us as a church, as individual followers of Jesus, to take seriously and be sober-minded as we think about we have been entrusted with the gospel. There's a lot of parents in the room. Lord, that the gospel has been entrusted to us to share with our kids. To help them to navigate through the ups and the downs of life, there's one message that brings hope. There's one message that can bring change about, and that is, when he died, I died. And when he rose, I rose to new life. What a beautiful, beautiful truth. I pray that you would help us as a church to maintain the purity of the gospel. And even as we move forward and, and begin to look at some of the deeper things that Paul reveals, 
Lord, that you would help us to glory in them. That your words would taste so very sweet. And God, if there's anybody here today or who's depending on their, their own goodness, they're depending on some tradition, they're depending on a baptism, they're depending on something other than Jesus, or, or maybe it's Jesus plus this additional thing that you would bring them to repentance and to understand the error of their thinking and that you would miraculously save. Thank you that we can have this, this amazing time together of just focusing in on who Christ is, what He's done. And I pray these things in His name. Amen.